welcome to the Real Answers Ministry as we go through the Book of Acts. My name is Louis Nava, founder of Real Answers Ministry, a nonprofit organization to help equip and encourage the saints to fulfill the Great Commission by coming alongside and going out preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ at events and colleges. You can check us out at realanswersaz.org. What led me to start Real Answers Ministry? reading the book of Acts and being convicted by the Holy Spirit. When I became born again in 1990, I knew I was part of his church and wanted to serve Christ right away. As years went by, I became discouraged due to seeing so many people having a profession of faith by going forward through altar calls, crusades, Christian concerts, and conferences. I saw so many people getting excited about Christ during the events. But I could not understand why there was not a hunger or thirst for the Word of God. As I saw the world becoming more godless and seeing no discernment from professing believers, I started questioning what was wrong. Why was the church becoming more divided? Why weren't we seeing fruit in the American churches with so many supposedly people coming to Christ? Instead of fruit being God in character, I started to realize that the modern church saw fruit as the number of people filling those stadiums and mega churches as proof that God was working in American churches. The feel-good messages that concentrated more on the creation rather than the creator, along with the music, moved the people with emotions. They believed that was the work of the Holy Spirit bringing revival. I started to struggle finding a church, and not understanding why so many were falling away from the faith. I was questioning and was asking God, what are we as a church doing wrong? Why does the church in the book of Acts flow so fast? Why was the early church turning the world upside down, according to Acts 17.6? The non-believers saw it turning the world upside down, but we know that it was actually turning upward. They were turning to Christ. And today, we see the church becoming more like the world. Instead of being set apart from the world, the modern church wants to mimic the world and just call everything Christian, like the Christian concerts looking like worldly concerts, or like Christian yoga, whatever that is. Again, I begin to ask God and question as to what was the church doing different from the church in the book of Acts. Did God love them more than he loves us today? Did God change? Of course not. We know God does not change. Hebrews 13 eight. We change. God does not need to repent. We do. The book of Acts is about the birth of the church. So I started studying the book of Acts to find answers as to what does the early church look like. So let us get into the book of Acts with the mindset of what the church looked like and what do we, the church, need to repent of and get back to the purpose of God's will for the church. Repenting of men's created traditions and submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church. So let's go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. We're going to start with uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Before I start, I want to go over who wrote the book of Acts. Well, it was it was Luke, 
how do we know that? Well, let's start with verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus. What was that former account? It was the account that Luke wrote to Theophilus in Luke. And it says, let me read that again. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day which he was taken up, and after, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen. So, the former account, the book of Luke, started from the birth of Christ and to his ascension. And, and uh, where it says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs. What's infallible proof? It's unmistakable, undeniable proof that he died, he was buried, and he resurrected. And then it says, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus revealed himself, he showed himself in bodily form to his disciples and to others. And, in, in fact, in First Corinthians 15, it says that there was, at one time, over 500 saw him at once. And so, again, I mean, that it's undeniable. It's um, proof that he walked this earth after the resurrection, that, he, that Jesus Christ is not dead. He's alive. And what did he do during those 40 days? He spoke the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then that brings a question. Because what was the kingdom of God? Was it a thousand-year future reign of Christ? I find an interesting scripture. Um, it's in Matthew 24, starting in verse 14. It says, And this gospel, this good news of the kingdom will be, will be preached in all the world, as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So I find it very interesting that the kingdom of God, that the gospel, that's what is being preached. What is being preached? The kingdom of God is being preached. It's an eternal kingdom. And so, and that's going to be preached to all the world. And then what does it say? Then the end will come. It's interesting that American church today, we want to think of ourselves as we're the center of Christianity. Look how many uh, missionaries we sent out throughout the world, how many uh, commentaries and books that we, we send out throughout the world and messages we send out throughout the world and makes it look like that we're the center of Christianity. But in reality, we're the end of the world. It's, Christianity started in Jerusalem. And now look at that. 2,000 years later, we're on the other side of the world um, still preaching the gospel. And so, and, and things that pertain, again, to the kingdom of God. It's God's eternal kingdom. And in fact, um, I have a link, lewismala.com, which you go to, where I did a study on YouTube regarding 
um, the book of Revelation, which speaks a lot about the kingdom of God. Let's go back to uh, Acts, verse 4. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John shall be baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, what is the promise of the Father? Well, we find that in Luke 24, at the end of uh, Luke's writing, um, right before the Ascension, Jesus said, in Psalm 48, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from all on high. Well, where was that power coming from? Well, we just read it, the Holy Spirit coming upon the church. And we read that again. For John truly baptized with water, water was symbolic of what? Our identity with Christ, how we died in the flesh, put to death of the body, and uh, buried and resurrected. We have new life in Christ. And so we see that John was, the baptism was symbolic of a, of being dead and alive in Christ, whereas the Holy Spirit, which is going to be, uh, they would, would be baptized not many days from, from that time of the, um, where the church started when they were waiting up in the uh, upper room in Jerusalem. And then verse 6 says, Therefore, when they asked, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What were their minds? Were they their minds on the Holy Spirit and being witnesses for for Christ? They they didn't understand that yet. But they were still concerned about the earthly kingdom. That when are, when are the Israel the the um, twelve tribes going to rule the whole world? That's what they're thinking, and and they wanted to know more on when that was going to happen. But what did Jesus tell? Verse 7, And Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. You don't consider yourself with that. <laughs> what you need to consider yourself with is verse 8, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So, they were going to receive power. What's that power? It's not power that we have within. We go to a very familiar verse in Zechariah. It says in um, verse 6, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but my spirit, said the Lord of hosts. But this, that was um, a prophecy of what was to come, that the Holy Spirit was going to come, and it was going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, not by our own power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what was that power to do? What God is doing in us and through us? That we shall be witnesses. What's a witness? And it, a witness is one who testifies. If we're in a courtroom and you're called to be a witness, 
you're called to testify, to speak of what you saw and what you heard. And so what are they testifying? Who Christ is the, uh, and about the goodness of the gospel, that he came, he died, um, and he rose again. And so we are to proclaim the good news. And that's what they were to. We are to continue doing that. Why? Because it says, you'll be witness to me in Jerusalem. They, that's where the church, the birth of the church was in Jerusalem. And all Judea, all um, where the Jewish people lived. And Samaria. Samaria was where were half Jews, half um, Gentile, which the, Jew, the Jewish people didn't even like. And so they were supposed to go out to those who are um, basically enemies and are not who are not Jews, and because it says, and to the end of the earth, and uh, and again, where is America? Where is the end of the earth? And so it's been the gospel has been spreading for two thousand years, and. Uh, is it now that we have rise, and now we we could be comfortable in our churches, or is God still supplying God Holy Spirit still in us for that same purpose to be witness to testify to the world, and especially what we just read about when it, when the gospel goes out to the end of the world, what's going to happen? Christ is coming back. So we should be becoming even more now, knowing that the time is short. Let's move on. Let's go to verse 9. It says, Now, when he had spoken these things while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, there were angels um, in the form of men who all said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in like manner as you saw him going to heaven. So is Jesus coming back in the spirit? Or is he coming back in judgment? Or they're saying that he's coming back in like manner, as you saw him. Well, how did they see him? They saw him in a glorified body. And that's the way he's going to return, in a glorified body. We don't know the day or the hour, but he, the promise is he will return. Let's go to verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued in one accord in prayer. They were in unity, and they were, and, and they were praying, and supplication with the women and the Mary of Jesus. So there were, you see also women there, and 
Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the last time that we see Mary uh, spoken of in the Bible. And also interesting, this is and with his brothers. The last time we saw his brothers in, in John 7, they weren't even believers. And they, um, and Jesus challenged them. He said, you, you're of this world. The, the people are not going to, are, are, are not going to um, bother you. They're going to, they hate Christ because why? He testified that the world is evil. And that's in uh, John 7, 7. And so the, the brothers were unbelievers. And yet you see them here in the upper room. I believe that during that 40 days that Jesus revealed himself to his brothers. And, uh, and that's how they knew where to go to the upper room. And, and they went with uh, the, the, their mother, Jesus, to the upper room waiting for the promise that is to come from the Father. And then in verse 15 it says, In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples together the number of the names was about 120. So you see, you see about 120 people in that room and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled with the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. So we see God's sovereignty, that Judas was the fulfillment of the scripture. That, that, uh, and, uh, and verse 18 says, Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails crushed out, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so that the field is called in their own language, a keldama, that is, fill the blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his dwelling place be desolate, and let no one live in it, and let another take his office. And so Peter gets up and speaks in front of everyone, and so that they can replace Judas as the 12th apostle. And, uh, you know, one thing we want to ask, you know, we, because a lot of people are saying, wait a second, um, Paul was the 12th apostle. And so with Peter going against what, uh, going against God, basically, or was he, or was the Holy Spirit convicting through Scripture to appoint um, someone a replacement? Because what did he? I believe he, you know, this is of God. Why? Because he uses Scripture, and um, and so in in uh, Psalm one hundred nine a, let me just turn it over. It says. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. So, Peter was guided by Scripture, and again, the Holy Spirit. So, they, uh, so they raised up another apostle to take the place of Judas. 
So what were the qualifications for that office? What verse 23 says, and they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, whose surname was Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, you, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. So they both were qualified, these two men. They either one could have took the place. They followed Christ. They were um, both witnesses of the resurrection. And so either one could have fell in place. But it's interesting in 26 is they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And so, you know, when you read it, uh, coming from the American mindset, you know, what, what were they doing, like gambling, throwing dice? And, you know, it's, it's interesting, like, you know, um, you know, where are lots? And lots are used in the Old Testament. They use lots when, uh, when they're dividing the land. And so in Proverbs 16.33, let me turn there quick. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So God makes a decision. Again, it is sovereignty. And then there's another verse in uh, Proverbs eighteen eighteen that says, Casting lots causes contentions to cease and keeps the mighty apart. See, if they voted on it, and, and, and you see a lot of that today, oh, well, you're uh, playing favorites. Oh, come on. You chose, you just like them better, or, you know, it, 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 you're just picking sides. And so what Christ and the Lot did is so that there wouldn't be no tension between them and, uh, and allowing God to, okay, we both qualify, either one to be chosen, God, it's up to you. You, you, you uh, they, they both qualify. And so back then, the number had to be 12 because it's a number of governments. You know, you have the 12 tribes of Israel, and uh, and so it had to be 12, whereas today is both qualified, I believe, both to serve the Lord. I think one of the mistakes in American Christianity and a lot of pastors, they keep people who are qualified to do God's will. And and if they're, if they're called, and they have the gift, and they're... And, they have ability, and they should be used for the glory of God, not not to hold them back. And um, so again, so he was number, uh, numbered with the eleven apostles. And again, a lot, a lot of people um, wondering, you know, well, what about Paul? And um, and, and again, in First Corinthians fifteen, uh, Paul says. Um, I mean, we start with verse 3. For I was delivered to you first of all that which 
I also received that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, and that he is buried, and he rose again the third day according to scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who was Peter, then by the twelve. So Paul recognized um, the twelve apostles and being Matthias, being the one, the twelfth apostle. And then, and then, uh, it's interesting how, what, what Paul thought of himself is in verse nine, he says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not even worthy to be called apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that by any of us who, who is worthy to, to serve the Lord, going by God's grace. And so Paul the apostle was, an apostle to the Gentiles, we see that in Romans eleven thirteen. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. And so, um, so we see Paul as the, as the apostle of the Gentiles. And so I think we'll conclude there. And um, Lord willing, next time, Acts chapter two. Amen. Mm-hmm.